Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. What we're doing. Amen. God is so good. Amen. So open your Bibles. We've been teaching about uh, the blessing of generosity. And we started in Genesis chapter 1, then Genesis chapter 8, and then a number of other scriptures, but really where the scripture talks about seed time and harvest. And I started with this scripture in Proverbs 11, verse 24 and 25. It says, there is one who scatters and yet increases, and there is one who withholds more than is sufficient, but it tends to poverty. The liberal or the generous soul shall be made fat, and he who waters others shall be, shall be watered also himself. Praise God. I love it in another translation. It says there's one who scatters, and yet he, he grows more and more. He gets the world of the generous, it says, gets larger and larger. But the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. I mean, it's talking about seed time and harvest, sowing and reaping. And then last week, we talked about the tither's blessing. And I like to say the tither's blessing. In fact, we read from Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, through verse 12. And in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Bring all of the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there be not room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, says, he says this again, the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of the Israel. Or we could say in another context, the God of angel armies. I took you to that in Genesis chapter 28. Today, I want to move from seed time and harvest, the tither's blessing, and I want to move into the grace of giving. The greatest disposition in the New Testament on financial giving is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul talks about giving more than anywhere, more than you can find anywhere that anyone talks about giving in the New Testament. And he also talks about this when he talks about the grace of giving in 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9. He uses the word grace, and it's the, the, the word grace is used more in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 than any other place in the Scripture except Romans 5 and 6. And in Romans 5 and 6, it's used equal to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, where it's talking about receiving righteousness by faith in God's grace. Amen? So we're going to talk about the grace of giving. I want to begin with the two scriptures in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and, and chapter 9 that I believe are the key 
verses, the key scriptures. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that even though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich. Now, when you look at this, the word for rich, the first one, there's two different words, is the word plesios, and it means wealthy, abounding in material resources, abundantly abounding, abundantly supplied, rich. So rich means rich. <laughs> and so he says, you know Jesus, even though he was rich. Now, any condition on earth would be poor considering where he came from. So when you know that Jesus came to earth, any condition, Jesus was the creator of the universe. He was with the Father and the Holy Spirit creating the universe. Any condition. Now we know when Jesus walked on earth, Jesus was not a poor man, so to speak. But any condition on earth would be considered poor with where he came from. In fact, not long after Jesus showed up on the earth, there were several kings that came from a few hundred miles to a few thousand miles, depending on who you're listening to, to bring him gifts. And they brought him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. There have been studies that have been done on this, and they think the gifts that they brought were worth more than $2 million in our current economy. So when you think about that, Jesus was never really a poor man. I mean, he just showed up on earth. Some guys, I, you know, God's not going to be in debt to Mary and Joseph. So they, they get this money and then they flee to Egypt. Praise God. And they're not paupers. Praise God. In fact, you don't lead a team of a bunch of men around the country preaching and feed them and take care of them. And how many of you ever, I just traveled with Barbara. That costs enough money. <laughs> now, now she, now listen, <laughs> she told me, now you've been telling you people that you're wealthy, so I'm going to let you live that. <laughs> so she'd been giving me some, uh, she'd been giving me some instructions. So <laughs> anyway, uh, but it, but it costs money to travel. If you travel very much at all, you know, it costs some money, right? But Jesus is leading a team of at least 12 guys. And you don't take 2,000 folks out to lunch. The disciples said, where are we going to buy bread? 200 penny, that's, a penny was a day's wage. So a, a, a very reasonable day's wage today is $100. So you don't take 2,000 people you know, that's, you know, $220,000. It's going to cost, where are we going to buy $20,000 of groceries, Jesus, to feed all these folks? <laughs> if you don't have some money. You don't have a treasurer that steals from the bag if you don't have some money. You got to have some money going through there, right? I mean, because if you got $5 and somebody takes one, you know it. And by, well, it ain't even worth stealing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> 
Praise God. In fact, Jesus wore a robe that was sewn of one thread. And it was so expensive, a robe, that when they crucified him, they wouldn't tear it. They cast lots for it. So Jesus, by no means, was a poor man. But it says, even though he was rich, abundantly supplied, wealthy, abounding, for our sakes he became poor. Now, the word for poor in the, Hebrew, or in the Greek is this, and it means poor to be a beggar to come to nothing. So it's actually talking about what Jesus did when he went to the cross. And I believe at the cross, Jesus took four things. He took our sin. He took our anxiety. He took our sickness. And he took our poverty. And if you read in Isaiah 53, verse 3 through verse 5, and 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, or 24, excuse me, you can see, 24 and 25, that Jesus took our sin, our anxiety, and our sickness. But if you read right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, you can see that he also took our poverty. So he became, he laid everything down and became poor like a beggar on the cross. So that we, through his poverty, might be made rich. This the last word here for rich in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, means this. It means richly supplied, increased with goods, made rich to wax rich. It's the Greek word plateo. Hallelujah. So he wants us to be Richly supplied, increased with goods, made rich. He wants us to grow wealthy. I believe that is God's will for every believer. Now, not everybody believes that. Not everybody teaches that in the church. In fact, we probably get more criticism for teaching financial prosperity and divine healing than anything that we teach. We get that criticism, first of all, from the world, those people outside the church, and we get that criticism, secondly, from people inside the church. But what I want you to do is I want you to be intellectually honest with me, and I want you to look at the Scriptures. Don't just take my word for what I'm saying. I want you to go to the Scriptures, and I want you to see what the Scriptures say on this subject. And there are over 2,000 Scriptures about riches, wealth, finances in the Bible. And I want you to just take the Scripture rather than taking some religious person's idea about the Scripture. Because many people, when they study the Bible, rather than taking the word verbatim and taking it for what the Scripture said, they read more into the notes of the person that's doing the study than they actually read the Scripture.
In fact, I was just at the dentist getting a checkup this week. And when I was there, there were a couple of guys walked in. And, and I'd been there for a while. And, and they started talking about their daily Bible study. And one of them said, well, I was today in Psalm 23. And I said, well, I love Psalm 23. And I also love Psalm chapter 1 and quoted part of it. Amen? The other one said, my study today was in Luke chapter 1. And the one that was talking about Luke chapter 1 was not talking about what the Scripture said. He was talking about what the notes in his study that he was going through said more than what the Scripture said. And this happens all the time. People don't read the Scripture. They read the notes about the Scripture, and they believe the notes about the Scripture more than they believe what the Scripture itself says. Let me give you an example. Years ago, I was preaching on divine healing in the atonement. Now, I told you I believe in that. Isaiah 53, 3-5, 1 Peter 2, 24, right? And when I was teaching on it, I had a guy that was new to my church, and he came and he said, Pastor Lawson, he said, I don't see what you're talking about in my Schofield notes. Well, how many of you know what the Scripture says, verse by verse, is more important than what Schofield or anybody else says about it? But a lot of people read the Scripture and they have somebody else's opinion about the Scripture rather than what the Scripture says. So we receive criticism sometimes from the world, sometimes from the church. In fact, I had a couple come here a few years ago. They said, you're going to that rich church. These other people from another church said that. Well, praise God. In fact, years ago, when we pastored in Kit Carson, Barbara and I went way out in the country. We hadn't been pastoring there very long, but we were quite a ways out to visit a new family who had come to the church. And when we went out to visit them, they said, it must be nice to be a rich preacher. And I thought, in my natural mind, I thought, how do they come up with this? They don't know how hard it is right now. And we were starting in business, and we were borrowing every dime. To, just for us to pay our bills, right, to make the paycheck stretch to the next month. But I happened to be talking to Bobby Jean Merck. She's a prophetess. She went home to be with Jesus earlier this year. I happened to be talking to her, and I mentioned something to her about it. And she said, Lawson, it's not what they see on the outside. It's the anointing that's on you. Hallelujah. Praise God. But I'm just asking you, to be honest with yourself and to go to the Scripture and read what the Scripture says. Amen. Study the Hebrew. Study the Greek. And if I'm not preaching what the Scripture says, then you can throw it out. Amen. But if I'm preaching what the Scripture says, I challenge you to start believing it. Amen. In fact, when we were in Kit Carson a couple years into it, we were there for 13 years. One of my elders took me to the next town to visit a certain individual. That individual had been hurt in a Word of Faith church. But we went and invited him to come to church. Now, every time that I preached, that he started coming immediately. But every time I preached for about the first year on faith, healing, 
or prosperity, he would have me at the back door. And he said, Pastor, and you know what? I never did argue with him. I said, I want you to go to this scripture. I want you to look this scripture up. I want you to go to the Strong's Concordance. I want you to look these words up, and I want you to study it for yourself. After about a year, he quit doing that. After about another year, he began to lead mission trips to Mexico and minister and, and build homes for people and do different things. It became a great blessing to the church. And after we, when we were leaving, the church there put on a luncheon for us, one of our last services, and they put an open mic and said, if Pastor Lawson or Barbara uh, really mean anything or had something significant, you can get up here. And he got up and he said this, and it really blessed me. Because he'd been hurt in a church like mine, and now he was coming to it. And he'd stayed there and become a very fruit-bearing branch in that church. And he said, when I first came here, he said, I would have Pastor Lawson at the back door after service nearly every Sunday. And he'd just tell me, go to this scripture and read it. Go look this up in the concordance and read this. And he didn't say that he agreed with me. He said, I never could prove him wrong. Hallelujah. That touched me. Second Timothy says this. It says that in verse 24 to verse 26, something like this. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle all to all men. He says, before this, he says, foolish questions avoid knowing they gender strife. So I didn't get in strife with him. I didn't get mad at him. I just asked him to go check out the scripture, to read it for himself, and to see what it said. And he says, he must not strive. Don't, he says, avoid foolish. Some questions are not about getting the question answered. Now, this man didn't, it wasn't a question. He, he really had a, a question inside. He wasn't trying to fight. He just wanted to know. And I'd give him answers. Now, he never said that he agreed, but he did say that he couldn't prove me wrong. But it goes on. In fact, I'm going to turn there really quickly to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I'm going to read this because it says, he says, the servant of the Lord in verse 24 must not strive but be gentle to all men, able to teach patience in meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves. Some people fight different teachings of the scripture and they really oppose themselves. But he says, if peradventure God will give them repentance, they'll change their mind and acknowledge the truth. You need to acknowledge the truth of the scripture that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. If you don't believe what the Scripture says, you are allowing Satan to catch you in a trap and keep you out of what God has for you. So it's very important in my thinking that you understand what the Scripture says about divine healing. And it's very important in my mind that you understand what the Scripture teaches about finances, about giving, receiving, and, and wealth. He says they may repent 
if God gives them repentance to acknowledge the truth, the word of God, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. If you don't believe what the scripture says, you can be taken captive by the devil at his own will. And I think the devil wants to keep the church sick and he wants to keep the church poor. And the reason he wants to do it is he wants to keep us from accomplishing what God called us to accomplish. Now go back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 in verse 9, the two major scriptures, you know the grace of Jesus. Even though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. We identified that as the cross, that you through his poverty might be made rich. Now in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8, the scripture says, and God is able to make all grace, everybody say all grace, abound toward you. God wants to make all grace abound toward you. In fact, if you don't get involved in the grace of giving, you are going to limit your ability to receive like God wants you to receive in this realm. So he says, God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency. Say, always having all sufficiency in all things. God wants you to always have all sufficiency. Barbara says recently, I just love it. We're living in the overflow. You get in this thing and you operate in it for a long time and it just can't help but keep, catch up with you. <laughs> and she said, I love living in the overflow. Honey, we're living in the overflow. Yes. Hallelujah. Herb Carter sitting on the front row. When Herb and Judith were first married, they experienced lack, but they decided to do what grandma did and they started tithing and guess what? God started meeting their needs. And today, years later, they are living in the overflow. And I know that testimony from many, many people. Hallelujah. So he says this, God is able to make all grace abound towards you. In other words, if you don't get involved in the grace of giving, you're going to limit the grace that you can receive in this area of giving and receiving, that you always having all sufficiency in all things. Everybody say all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Praise God, I was telling you about the dentist. So I go in the dentist, they're checking me out. And they say, well, really over here, we need to do this, right? I'm like, well, I really don't want to do that. He's like, well, you really need it. And over here, you need to do this. And I'm like, well, I really don't want to do that. He said, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this. I didn't ask for it. For free. And I want to do this, 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 and this. And how many of you know dental work's expensive? But it ended up being, it was about $5,000 of work. And then when I went out, they said, and we want to get, if you'll pay today, we want to give you this discount. I said, well, I'll pay today. <laughs> Hallelujah. And did you know what? They're, they're going to do about $5,000 of work, dental work for me. 
and I'm going to pay him about $2,000 for it. I already paid him. Amen? And I didn't ask for it. I did not ask for it. I have blessings like that. Right? Come to me all of the time. Hallelujah. Praise God. I, I'm on the board of a very large church, and they're going through a thing, and they needed to get an appraisal for their property. And they told them, well, that, the real estate person said, that'll be about a $12,000 appraisal. And we were in an annual meeting yesterday, and, and I, I said, now listen, they'll do that appraisal for $8,000. And one of them said back, well, we'll pay $10,000. I said, no. I said, they'll do that appraisal if you ask them to do this for God. If you ask them to do this for the church, they will do it for $8,000. They said, yes, sir, Pastor Lawson. I said, you go tell them we'll give you $8,000 if you do this for the church. And they'll make good money at it. I have things like this happen all the time. In fact, we're getting a new HVAC system at this church for $1.136 million, less $17. And it's no less than a $2 million HVAC system. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to work very well. But we had to have engineering done. So I talked to one person. He said, call this person. And I asked him, I said, hey, would you do this? I asked my provider, what do you think about this? He said, that, that'll be fine. I said, would you do this for the church, for God? Would you do this for 5000 He said, I'd be happy to, Pastor. Now, they charge up to 10%, so we're talking about $1.136 million. He said, I'd be happy to do that for $5,000. You say, Lawson, where'd you get that? Years ago, when Jesse DePlantis built his building and paid $7 million, and he probably got a building that was worth, at that time, at least double that. He said, here's how you build a building and pay cash. You ask them if they'll do this for God. I never forgot. Somebody in my church gave me that article. Amen? I never forgot it. In fact, I do it. Amen? Now, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. That engineer is going to do it. He's going to make money. The HVAC person is going to do it. He's going to make money. It's going to be good for them, and it's going to be good for us, and it's going to be good for the kingdom. Amen? So this will work for you. It works for me. But if you don't believe it, you won't receive it. See, there's grace. He says God is able to make all grace. Everybody say all grace. grace. Some grace will be limited in your life if you don't get involved in the grace of giving toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. We're abounding, hallelujah, to every good work. We're getting ready to go on. The, this, this is the greatest, you know, opportunity we've ever had in outreach, but it's also the greatest commitment that I've ever made in outreach. And guess what? We're not going to stop giving. In fact, we, we've sowed to no less than 15 ministries. We'll do at least 20 ministries into the year giving. Hallelujah. In fact, before we had the commitment from the insurance company on what they gave us for the roof and HVAC, so on and so forth, we made a commitment to certain ministries to sow into them significant seeds. Amen? 
Well, it looked like we might have to come up with a couple of million dollars out of our pocket or two and a half to take care of some things here. And guess what? We take care of the things of God and God takes care of our things. We take care of the house of God. Amen? And God takes care of our house. Amen? Now, let's go back to 2 Corinthians 8 and we'll start talking about the grace of giving. Moreover, brethren, we want you to know of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So he uses these churches, and actually these churches are not, they're, they're experiencing some difficulties and some challenges, but Paul uses them as an example to the Corinthians of a giving church. He says in, in verse 2, how that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded to the riches of their liberality. So while they were going through difficulties, they kept giving. I started tithing the first time that I received a paycheck when I was 13 years old. And I have never quit tithing. And no matter how good it is, no matter how difficult things are, I never stop giving. I never stop tithing. I never stop sowing seed. Personally and as a church. In fact, I take it personally very seriously. Right? I'm very serious about doing the right thing in the realm of giving as a church. And I'm very serious about doing the right thing personally in the realm of giving. And so this, these churches, they just kept giving. He says in verse 3, For to their power I bear record, and beyond their power they were, they were willing to give beyond where they were. God gives seed to sowers. Praying with us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift. In other words, Paul said... These people were dealing with some problems. We Sometimes you don't want to receive seed because you see a physical challenge you're dealing with. But what Paul's saying, they were praying us to receive this gift and take upon us the fellowship of ministering to the saints. I've been in instances where I don't want to receive a gift, but I know it's more important for them to sow it, maybe even than it is for me to receive it or the ministry to receive it. And he says, this they did, not as we hope, but first gave their own self to the Lord. Now, if you give yourself to the Lord, and this is my attitude about giving, everything I have is His. So He allows me, right, to use whatever, whatever that I don't give. He allows me to use that. Praise God. But they first gave themselves to the Lord. So he uses them. And not only did they give themselves to the Lord, but he says they gave themselves to us by the will of the Lord. So they, they gave, praise God, to God, and then they gave themselves to those who are mentioned in the gospel. Now, in verse 6, Paul begins to talk to the Corinthians and he begins to talk to them about getting involved in the grace of giving. 
And he says, in so much that we desire Titus, Titus was like a leader. He's like Paul's troubleshooter. So we got trouble in certain, we send Titus over there to straighten things up, clean it up, get it in order. We desire Titus that as he had begun, he would finish. You started out talking about this, but you haven't followed up. But we want him to finish this, this same grace also. Notice what he says in verse 7. Therefore, as you abound in everything, you abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, in diligence, and in your love to us. Now, what are faith, utterance, knowledge, diligence, and love? That's practical Christianity. That's basic Christianity. Paul says, just like you abounded in faith, utterance, knowledge, your love one to another, diligence, just like you abounded, we want you to abound in the grace of giving. This is practical Christianity. He says, I'm not speaking. Now, I love this verse 8. I'm not speaking by commandment. In other words, God isn't making me tell you this. But I'm telling you this for your own good. But by the occasion of the forwardness, these Macedonian churches, other churches, the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. If you really believe this gospel, amen, let's prove it out. He's kind of saying, put your money where your mouth is. You guys have been talking about it long enough, but it's time to get with the program. And it, then, he, then so, so he goes, number one, on the grace on the Macedonian churches. Then he goes exhorting them to get involved in this grace. And then in verse 9, he begins to talk about the grace on Jesus. And he says, not only are these Macedonian churches an example of giving. He says this, he says, Jesus is our greatest example of giving and Jesus gave everything. He says, for you know the grace of the Lord Jesus that even though he was rich, he was with the Father in the beginning. He was creating all things. Any condition on earth would be compared poor with where he came from. Yet for your sakes, he laid down everything on the cross. He became a, as a beggar on the cross. He laid it all down that you through his poverty might be rich. Again, that word for rich, it means this. It means richly supplied, increased with goods, made rich or to wax rich. It's the Greek word plateo. Now he goes on. And says this in verse 10. Herein I give my advice for this. This is expedient. This is You need to get involved in the grace of giving. This is expedient for you who started out to do this even about a year ago. But you haven't really followed through. He says then in verse 11. Now therefore perform the doing of it as there was a readiness to will. You started out in your mind. There may be a performance out of that which you have. I want you to understand that God is not looking for what you don't have. In fact, Jesus watched these people as they were giving into the offering. And as many wealthy people gave into the offering. And Jesus 
commented on it. And when this widow came and, and put two mites, a couple of cents in the offer, she, Jesus said, this woman gave more than everybody because she gave everything. God is interested in percentages. He's not so much interested in how big the amount is, but he is interested in percentages. And if you can't believe God to give 10 cents out of a dollar or a dollar out of 10 or $10 out of 100 or $1,000 out of 10,000 or 100,000 out of a million. See, I used to have an uncle say, hey, I'm going to give. I'm going to tithe when I get a million. If you won't do it when you got 1,000, you won't do it. You sure won't do it when you got a million. And I've seen some people, they got the faith to do it when they got 2,000, but when they received 200,000, all of a sudden their faith went somewhere else. So he's challenging, he's challenging them to get involved in this grace of giving. I'm challenging you to get involved in the grace of giving. In fact, when I started out, before Barbara and I went in the full-time ministry, we, we made about ten dollars to $20,000 a year, and we gave five dollars to $10,000 away to the church. And then when we got in full-time ministry, we started out, and we were making, we were living in low-income housing, making between eight hundred dollars and then in a little bit, $1,000 a month. And other than we, we sold, we had a double-wide trailer that we sold, and when we sold that, we sold it for $30,000. I took the first 5,000 and I gave to the church. But other than that, like the next year, we only gave a couple of thousand dollars into the church where we were, and I felt bad because I'd been given five to $10,000 a year. But the Lord showed me, Lawson, if you didn't come here, if you didn't start this church, then this church wouldn't have been given like it was. And that church would give about $50,000, about 50% of the income away to other ministries and missions. Praise God. So don't get upset about where you are. Just start where you are and believe God to increase you. Amen. Believe God to direct you. Now, as he's going through this, so he's never worried. God is never worried about what you don't have, and you shouldn't be worried about it either. You just start where you're at. For he says, I do not mean that other men be eased and you be burdened, but by an equality at this time, your abundance may be a supply for their want. Their abundance may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who's gathered much has nothing over. He that has gathered little has no lack. In other words, Paul says, everybody, no matter how much they have or how little they have, ought to get involved in the grace of giving. And then he begins in verse 16 to talk about administrating this gift. He says, but thanks be to God who put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. For he indeed accepted the exhortation or encouragement being more forward of his own accord. He went to you. In other words, Paul said, I asked him and he was happy to do it. And we have sent him with the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout the churches, and not that only, but who also was chosen of the churches to travel with us in this grace, 
which is administered by us to the glory of the same Lord and the declaration of your... When we administer the grace of God in the realm of giving right, it causes glory to God. And he says this. He says the declaration of your ready mind. Notice verse 20. Avoiding this, that no man should blame us in the abundance which is administered by us. I believe that when we administrate finances right in the church, that it causes abundance to come to the church. I do not believe that Karis Christian Center should be an exception among churches. I believe this should be a rule among the church. When we administrate finances well, it will lead to abundance. Abundance for the people and abundance for the ministry. That's what I personally believe. He says providing for. If you're going to administer it right, honesty in all things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Paul says in another place, we want to live in a good conscience before God and before men. He says, and we have sent with men our brother whom we've oftentimes proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent upon the great confidence. Paul says, I have great confidence in you. I have great confidence in this church that you're going to follow through, that you're going to step forward, that you're going to do. You're not just going to talk about it. You're going to do it. Whether, he says in verse 23, you inquire of Titus, he's my partner, fellow helper concerning you, or our brethren be inquired of, they are the messengers of the churches and of the glory of Christ. Wherefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love. I want you to get involved in this grace. And really, I believe the reason that Paul wanted them to get involved in the grace of giving is not only so the ministry would prosper, but he wanted them to get involved in the grace of giving so that they would prosper. In fact, he says this, and we'll be there next week in Philippians chapter 4. I, I believe it's verse 17. But he says, listen, I desire that fruit may abound to your account. Listen, I, Pastor Lawson, desire that fruit may abound to your account. I want you, Karis Christian Center, the members and the partners of this church to prosper like you've never prospered before. I want you to receive harvest like you've never had harvest before. I want you to increase like you've never increased before. I want you to abound like you've never abounded before. I I want you to be blessed like you've never been blessed before. I want supernatural abundance, supernatural favor, supernatural blessing, and supernatural increase to come to you, not only for the kingdom of God, but for your family. Now listen to what he says. He says, wherefore, show to them before the churches the proof of your love and our boasting on... We're proud of you. Hallelujah. We've been telling everybody, we're proud of you. Now you act like we're proud of you. God bless you. I love you.
Thank you for listening to the Caris Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.